Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Scoops. I'm your host Melody. And I'm your host Sophia. Today we are discussing about a topic that is rather heavy and controversial, which is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And keeping in mind the density of this conflict, I'd like to emphasize that the purpose of this episode is not to provide current information about the conflict necessarily, but to examine the historical context and arguments that are emerging from both sides, especially highlighting that this is a geopolitics conflict. Yeah, and the intention of this episode is to draw understanding as to why both sides reside so relentlessly in their respective beliefs and the complications following the conflict's history. Currently, it seems like the world and the media are most keen on pushing forth this need for people to take a stance and condemn one side or the other. But in this episode, we really want to understand the accumulation of events, emotions, and history that have been bottled up for decades, which evidently unraveled to what is now an exceedingly socially deprecating conflict. So, it's been a month since this conflict started. Today is November 7th, and has become abundantly clear that over this period in time, international agencies and organizations are very reluctant to, like, intercept this conflict and have a say-so. And that raises the question of, What makes this conflict so volatile? Why has it continued on for over a month now with the mass media covering every single minute? That is why in this episode today, we've invited a special guest with us to help us understand the situation. Would you like to introduce yourself, Ms. Monty? Um, My name is Ms. Monty and I'm a humanities teacher. I teach uh, world history and government and a few other subjects. And I've also gotten to travel to Israel and the West Bank a few years ago now and hear about some of these experiences. So talking about history of this conflict, which is the main focus of today's episode, we should at the very least understand about what happened on the 7th of October, which marks what started this war. So can you briefly explain what happened on October 7th? Yes, so basically on October 7th, um, Hamas, which is a terrorist group in Palestine, Mm -hmm. um, staged a surprise attack against Israel. Mm -hmm. They killed 1,400 people. Uh, Many of those were civilians, and they took over 200 people hostage. Uh, The victims were people who were just on the streets. Uh, There was a big concert that was hit. Some people were even just in their homes Mm -hmm. um, when when they were attacked. Uh, And so Israel responded by viewing this as a declaration of war from Palestine, and Mm -hmm. they began to attack in return, especially directing their attacks toward Gaza, which is in Palestinian territory. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, believing that the Hamas terrorists were hiding in civilian areas in Palestine, Israel also attacked civilian areas as Mm -hmm. the Hamas had done. And uh, both sides in the last month have um, attacked somewhat indiscriminately against uh, civilians and military areas. And uh, Israel has a superior military, so when we're hearing about it, a lot of the focus recently has been on what Israel is doing in the conflict. Um, I feel like before October 7th, no one really knows what's going on in Israel, more than just the fact that it's a country. I don't think a lot of people knew that Palestinians had Palestine land within kind of like the area. And so geographically, could you maybe even elaborate a little more into how the land is going? Because we're hearing about Gaza, West Bank, but I feel like there's not much idea of what that's like. Mm -hmm. So the area is this little sliver of land Mm -hmm. in the Middle East on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Mm -hmm. And uh, as it's divided now, a a large chunk of that is considered uh, modern day Israel. But Mm -hmm. there is a small section by the Mediterranean Sea called the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. It's a small strip of land 
um, in a region called Gaza, and so that's why it's called that. And then there is a second section of land that is also considered Palestine on the west bank of the Jordan River, so that's called the West Bank. And so Palestine right now is divided into two different geographic areas that don't connect to one another. And so if you consider yourself Palestinian and identify that that is your home, mm -hmm. then you actually have to go through Israel to get from one to the other. So it's actually oh, um, split up between mm. Israel, which is part of why it's very complicated. The, mm. the slicing of yeah. both is very uh, abstract. And so um, sometimes also just to get to, from one section of the West Bank to another, you may have to actually go into Israel I to see. do that. Yeah, I think a lot of people have realized, hey, if it's just their own land, then what's this conflict so you know volatile about? But that's the thing. So with all of that happening on October 7th and understanding the current modern day um, separation of um, land and stuff. Could you kind of start from the start? When did tensions start brewing between the two people groups? Sure. So um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the background. Uh, briefly, tensions have been brewing between these two people groups for a long, long time, all the way back to um, Abraham. And oh uh, Abraham had two sons named Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael is the father of the the ethnic Arabs, and today people of Israeli or Jewish descent consider themselves to be descendants of Isaac, um, and so that's that's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. Largely, the Jewish people called this area home for about a thousand years in what we oh. consider to be the Old Testament time period. Mm -hmm. uh, that state of Israel ended uh, in about 70 AD. It was defeated by the Romans. And the people who were Jewish were kicked out of that area. They were sent all over the world and scattered. Mm -hmm. uh, and since then, the Jewish people have been all over the world. Uh, they've experienced quite a bit of anti-Semitism, yeah. not having a homeland of their own. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for the last 2,000 years, that region, so, mm -hmm. so since about 70 AD until now, mm -hmm. that region has had a lot of other nations coming and going, rising in power, losing power, being defeated. Right. Uh, we call that area ge geographically Palestine. That's a geographic term first oh, and foremost. Okay. Talking about the region, it's become a political term very yes. recently. <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> but geographically is more how that term's been used historically. Uh, another reason or factor in this conflict is that this area of Palestine has been a very heated area uh, religiously because it's the home of holy sites of three major religions, which is Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And mm -hmm. all of those religions have significant holy sites there, and so they fight over the land for that reason. So the Jewish people experienced a lot of persecution. They were scattered throughout the world. And so this region has become, historically, uh, in the last 2,000 years, uh, predominantly ethnically Arab and religiously Muslim, mm -hmm. uh, because the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world. That being the case, uh, for the, the most recent empire that ruled there were the Ottoman Turks, and they had control over this geographic Palestine region until the end of World War I. Oh, and at okay. the end of World War I, uh, as, as often happens at the end of a world war, uh, <laughs> the winning nations get to de decide or define yes. who will be the new nations. Right. And Britain was in charge of determining who would be able to... Um, own this area and who would be able to declare this area to be their space. Um, oh. And that was unfortunately a fairly common practice at the end of both world wars. And so in 1917, uh, the British declared that they supported the idea of a Jewish state in the Palestinian region. Oh. Yeah. So um, at the end of world war two, obviously that brought up 
a bunch of new issues. And so um, during World War II and after World War II uh, with the Holocaust and World War II going on throughout Europe, there were floods of Jewish people who were fleeing Europe and many of them were looking for new homes and they spread out across the world. Actually, a lot of them went to South America. (laughs) Um, But a a big group also went to their ancient homeland, which is the Palestinian region. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking and hoping to be able to create a new nation there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in 1947, after World War II, the UN officially Mm -hmm. declared that this, this region would be split into two different nations. Uh, As more people of Jewish descent came into the area, there were concerns that this would be a conflicted region so that uh, people could um, be in a country with uh, people who shared ethnic and linguistic heritage. And so the UN declared, let's split this into two regions. Um, And in 1948, the state of Israel declared its independence, okay? Uh, And in order for a state to become a state there's a few things that need to happen it does mm-hmm. need to declare its independence so israel right. did that palestine did not at the time okay uh and so that's one thing that needs to be happen uh another thing that needs to happen is a state needs land there were some people in the land already mm-hmm. and so uh the the palestinian people who were in the land at this time were displaced okay mm-hmm. and um this is called nakba which is means catastrophe in Arabic. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're still counting these refugees and the people who for generations have lived in refugee camps. Mm -hmm. And so a current count from the UN is about 5 million Palestinian refugees in the world. And the UN supported uh, the state, the new state of Israel allowing Palestinian people to stay in their homes if they wanted to. but unfortunately, uh, the Israeli state was very concerned about some of those uh, Palestinians perhaps mm, uh, yes. supporting an alternate state, perhaps yes. being terrorists. And so uh, the state of Israel was fairly aggressive at um, ejecting people of uh, Arabic Muslim faith. Not everybody. There are still people of Muslim faith who live in Israel. But a lot of them, um, there was a big push to get them uh exited out of the state of Israel. It made it very exclusive. Yes, largely largely fairly exclusive. Okay. Yes, yeah. So, kind of transitioning to the foremost argument now since we're also examining what both sides are supporting their own stances. Um, a huge argument that we're seeing is for a ceasefire to happen. Mm-hmm. And that just means that they want this war to just stop because there's so much chaos and like destruction happening, right? And people are saying that we need to put partisan politics aside and work together for the good of the world and the people groups involved. And so recently I had read that the United States actually brought forth a quote-unquote resolution. And it said that they want to call for a humanitarian pause to allow for humanitarian aid access. But a lot of countries and diplomats vetoed it, saying that um, humanitarian pause is not the same as a ceasefire and that it does not resolve the issue nor the conflict. So this kind of brings us to the question of if a ceasefire were to happen or even treaty, um, as we've seen in history, there are a lot of parallels that we can draw with this conflict. What type of resolution do you think can encompass or at least be a good compromise for both sides? And it's okay if you feel like you can't go into detail because this is something like if this was so easy, then everybody would be able to resolve (laughs) it. But I mean, like... What are some ideas you've thought of objectively as a 
humanities teacher? Um, well, I think one thing that needs to be recognized is these are two, uh, two different people groups who recognize themselves as unique nations. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the attempts at peace have um, been a little bit like band-aids where they're just mm. quick fixes and they're not really dealing with kind of that heart issue that these are peoples uh, that want their own autonomy and they want their own political system. Uh, and so ideally we would have two nations that would be able to have their own political identity and their own autonomy. I think that would be the, the ideal case scenario. But in order for that to happen, uh, there's a lot of complicated steps. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, partly because the land and who is in the land, it's not as simple as just drawing, splitting the land in half. Yeah. There's people. I mean, they tried that. <laughs> right. They tried that. That didn't work. Yeah, I feel like um, in this conflict, there's so many technical things that were not done um, smoothly or directly that have kind of unraveled now. Mm -hmm. Like, we wouldn't have known that you had to declare this quote-unquote independence in order to say that you could acquire land or whatnot. So currently, as we're juniors in high school, and it's also college application season for the seniors, a topic <laughs> that's been consistently circling around is university. And while we understand that this conflict between Palestine and Israel is a geopolitical one, yes. sorry, <laughs> no many college programs have also been, been affected, which can be surprising for some people. Yeah, we wanted to bring this example up because I feel like people do not realize just how much impact and just how severe this conflict really is. So this example is wherein there's a program at the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, called the Huntsman Program in International Studies and Business. And recently, the program's funding was cut off. And it was because the program's biggest donor, the Huntsman family, which the program is literally <laughs> named after, have decided to stop donating since, quote-unquote, John Huntsman Jr., who's a spokesperson of the family, said that the university's silence in the face of reprehensible and historic Hamas evil against the people of Israel, when the only response should be outright condemnation, is a new low. Silence is anti-Semitism, and anti-Semitism is hate, and the very thing higher ed was built to obviate. They said that because of this, the Huntsman Foundation will close its checkbook on all future giving to UPenn. And the thing is, the Huntsman family includes three generations of UPenn graduates and have donated tens of millions of dollars to the school over the past three decades. So it's pretty telling that this conflict has created a large impact on families and universities and it really just highlights the global reverberations of this conflict so i know this one kind of touches on even a more controversial point but i think even then just bringing the question forth might even help some people think about the answers on their own hearing how huntsman jr equated being silent about this conflict to being anti-semitic as humanities teacher, what are your thoughts on when you hear that? Not that there's a right or wrong answer or that you need to agree or disagree, but what do you think of that comment in general? I mean, he said it really like straight on, but do you think that this topic can really be said as black and white? Um, well, first of all, I think anti-Semitism is a serious concern. Yeah. And as we're talking about this issue, we should never minimize that. That, right. that has I think been... a lot of people will see that it's just only World War II. Even I thought, right, at the mm. start of this podcast right yeah. yeah there's there's been 
thousands of years of anti-Semitism. So it is a serious concern. At the same time, I think this particular conflict is much more complicated than anti-Semitism. And I think um, having just uh, such a black and white perspective of it is ignoring some of the other issues and some mm-hmm. of the other factors of why it's so complicated. Yeah. Uh, and I would personally recommend an educated person to, to choose to listen to the different mm-hmm. perspectives yeah. and try to understand where each is coming from and understand the legitimate hurt and concern that both sides are able to communicate. Yeah, I mean, like, we we hadn't talked about this yet, but also a lot of students that were in universities, like, even this semester that were just enrolled, had decided to speak up about this, whether that be taking a stance or not taking a stance. And a lot of them have actually just been expelled from the school for, you know, speaking up and I think even then you saying that this is really more complex than anything that we've said as black and white, it is sad that a lot of people are unable to just talk about what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to ask some questions that according to the Bible, it seems like Israel is really a God-given land. So the question is, technically the Jewish government is not oppressing, but just claiming what's theirs, right? Um, okay, this is a very complicated issue. Yeah. Um, this is something that I feel like both sides have brought up, so I thought just why right. not bring it, include it, yeah. not a personal yeah. question. So if you if you read the Bible and if you believe what the Bible says about the Jewish people, God promised the, the ancient Israelites the land and gave them promises that if they pursued him and if they sought relationship with him, they would be able to live in this land for the rest of eternity, the rest, mm-hmm. of, the right. rest of time on earth. And uh, then he also gave them a bunch of... Uh, potential uh, consequences that would happen if they turned their backs on him. And if they turned their backs on him, then they would not get to live in the land forever and they would be scattered throughout the earth. And very tragically, that is what seems to have happened, that many Israelites uh, did not want to continue in relationship with God and turned their back on him. And as promised, God did um, send them out of the land. Not that that gives us any excuse to treat Jewish people with disrespect. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but when we when we bring up the promise that this is a God-given land, then at the same time, we have to bring up the, the curse that was given, that God warned his people that if they did not follow him, then they would oh, not be yeah. able to live Definitely there Definitely a lot of people have missed that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other question is that many other nations... Um, justify that like expanding their territories is um, a god-given blessing so kind of like the idea of manifest destiny that the americans used Mm -hmm. Um, so does it make it right for israel to use this to substantiate their takeover or that ever like you know americans used it um, british people also used it a lot of different countries have used it and in this one where it seems as though maybe that it really is a god-given land is it ever okay to just say that it's God-given's blessing? Um, I think we have to be very careful using language about claiming that we know what God's gifts to us are. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's always a big caution, um, and I would recommend us not doing that in our life because <laughs> um, the Bible talks about God giving us good things and God giving us trials, and mm-hmm. so trials involve us not always getting everything we want. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, the the people I've known who are Israeli or of Jewish descent uh, most of them don't actually use this argumentation regarding oh. it being God's mm-hmm. given blessing because they don't actually uh, believe in God 
very commonly. Um, they tend to, yes, it's very interesting to have a conversation with them. They tend to uh, believe in celebrating Jewish holidays as a part of, of remembering their traditions, a little bit like what we do during Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily that they actually believe that God is going to help them or God is going to respond. Interesting. Just like we do lion dance, but we don't necessarily think <laughs> the lion dance is going to protect us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that. And so um, they tend to talk about it being their ethnic right or their ethnic heritage, mm-hmm. but the, the language about God's given blessing is not so commonly used. So, okay, now moving on to kind of the vocabulary people have been using. I think a lot of people even searching it up are still unsure of what it means. And one of the main ones that we keep seeing the media use and people advocating for both sides use is the word apartheid. So could you kind of define what that means and maybe even give an example to clarify? Yeah, so apartheid is uh, a word um, that we use primarily talking about South Africa. And it's essentially government-approved segregation um, to a stronger extent than the U.S. ever did it, where you're actually splitting different ethnic groups into different geographic areas. So that's why the argument would be used that that's what's happening in Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, That did happen in in South Africa, where white people were allowed to live in a certain place and people of African heritage were allowed to live in a different place. Uh, And so that's that's where we get that term, um, government-approved and sanctioned apartheid. So putting that into context of now, a lot of people say that the 1948 Nakba marked the start to Israel becoming an apartheid, and objectively, using what the word means itself, what do you think when people make that comment or just question? Right, so um, because apartheid is one government that is discriminating against different people groups and uh, putting them in different geographic areas, I wouldn't really call the Israel-Palestine an apartheid issue. There's ethnic tension for sure, um, but there are a lot of other factors and uh, it's more an issue of there are two nation states warring for control of this area. And a nation state is usually um, one people group that share cultural, linguistic, and political identity. Mm-hmm. And so unlike in, in apartheid in some other countries, uh, these people are not all seeking to be Israelis or not all seeking to be Palestinians. Uh. They don't necessarily want to stay the sa- in the same nation, which often happens in apartheid. So in apartheid, people who have the same national identity are often forced to split mm-hmm. on their ethnic lines. Mm-hmm. So it would be like if there was... Um, a state of uh, Chinese Americans, a state of Korean Americans, a state of white Americans. That, that would be more the, the type of division that we're talking about in an apartheid situation um, versus in this situation where Palestine wants to be a nation, Israel wants to be a nation. That is very interesting. interesting. I just think it's understanding that it's like the people just want a home. They just want to have their own place and be recognized as their own people. And it's like, they're just fighting for what we all have. Mm. Oh yeah, it, under, it like helps us understand why it's so important to them mm. and why it's such a big issue. Now. Right. Yeah. And another word which people also use the word ethnic cleansing, mm. and we know that during the Holocaust, um, the objective and motive was made very clear that he wanted to. I mean, maybe you could say reinforce anti-Semitism and basically kill as many Jews mm-hmm. as he could. Mm-hmm. Um. And that is very much ethnic cleansing, for sure, because the motive was made very clear. But now I know that there's this um, war going on for a month now that we can see that there is a disproportion in the force that are able to be used, right? We can see that Israel has a really strong military, that's for sure, and Palestine does not. And we see by 
current political term that they're using is that Israel is self-defending. And we see that a lot of Palestinians are suffering. People have used the word ethnic cleansing. Do you think that it has to be made clear that the motive was to ethnic cleanse, that then you can say that this is an ethnic cleansing process? Right. Um, I think we have to take any accusations of ethnic cleansing with some seriousness because Mm -hmm. when there have been ethnic cleansings in history, uh, people have been in denial about it for a long time and then later go back and admit it. And so I think... I think it's something to take seriously and to to consider. Uh, But I also think it's probably more accurate to view it as a a conflict or a war Mm -hmm. rather than um, exclusively an ethnic issue. Just because there are so many contributing factors. There are many contributing factors, yeah. In closing our discussion today, I think that something I would love to just make a comment is I think that the arguments from both sides really stem from their own individual history and background. Both people groups have experienced a very long history themselves, and it really just so happened that the desire of land, of a homeland, pit these two people groups against each other. And so seeing it now, whether as teenagers, adults, or people of just any age in 2023 modern day, I think we should really take the opportunity to learn about situations like these, especially bring in history, because we also know that prior to October 7th, really not many people knew about this 100-year-long conflict. And I think that speaks volumes about how we as citizens of the world should be more aware sometimes. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really hope this episode was as eye-opening to everyone as it was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, at least for me, the the only exposure I've really had to this conflict is from the media and the news, and I think it's really watered down on the complexity of everything. But as we've discussed, it's not as black and white as we thought. If there's one thing I want to take away from today, it is to listen with an open heart and to respond to the conflict with compassion and understanding. Right. I think we can all grow by being learners about the Israel-Palestinian situation. Mm-hmm. None of us are experts on this region. No. Yeah. We're, we're no. all viewers. Mm-hmm. And even if we feel strongly about one side or the other, we can all do better at listening to both perspectives. Mm-hmm. Whatever dialogue transpires.